Tonight we're going to talk about culture. And here are the questions I'm throwing up. Let's see what you guys think. How should Christians engage secular culture? I'm defining it not limited to, but I'm defining it art, film, music, television, magazines, theater, anything. You might call it pop culture, but just culture in general. How should Christians engage secular culture? Should Christians stay away from certain expressions of culture that are objectionable? Should Christians have their own culture? Those are kind of to start us off. Two or three weeks ago, I was in a conversation with Ben, and he said, what do you think the right Christian response should be to the big chocolate Jesus? You guys know this artwork, if you can call it artwork? So some guy decided that he would make something called My Sweet Lord. It was a life-size Jesus hanging from an invisible cross made out of melted down chocolate Easter bunny type chocolate. You know, so it was, I think it was solid, solid chocolate. And there were a couple things about it that were controversial. One was that Jesus was naked and that Jesus was made anatomically correct. And this was kind of objectionable to a lot of Christians that you would show a naked Jesus who was anatomically correct. Uh, some people wondered whether the Christians were mad because he was made out of dark chocolate and not white chocolate, okay? Which sounds funny, but there might be some truth to that, you know? And he also didn't have the traditional long hair, and I think his abs weren't as well defined as we like our Jesus on the cross to be, you know? So there were a lot of problems with it, but it was a really good question. What are we supposed to do when that comes up? What are you supposed to do when you see this and someone's saying, this is artwork? Are we supposed to run and protest? Are we supposed to ignore it? Are we supposed to actually go and embrace it because it creates dialogue about who Jesus really is? That's the question I'm throwing out to you to start off today. Of course, I have my thoughts on it, but I'd like to see, what do you guys think we should be doing? What do you think Jesus would have had us do? Anyone? The problem is with a lot of it, it's hard to determine what God's standard would be with some of the culture of Jesus. So you're saying there's, there's some interpretation that has to come in. If, if you're going to say, is that objectionable to God, then we'd have to figure out whether that would or would not be objectionable to God because we would disagree among us ourselves and he's not here to give us a clear standard. Right? Uh, as Christians, with the chocolate Jesus, we should take some offense to it. And that for me, being a musician, I have always been against like, strictly like just Christian music, you can't listen to secular music or whatever. And it's like, I almost feel like if you seclude yourself from that stuff so much that it's not gonna prepare you for what the world has. And you're gonna almost like, it's almost gonna pull you away and you're gonna wanna do the stuff that you weren't able to do. But but that's with music you're saying. Yeah, I'm just saying with music, but I, I think I think as far as like the, the chart with Jesus goes and stuff, I obviously it, it depends on where he's coming from. I don't know in history if there's been other naked Jesus sculptures. I know there's been like naked Davids and naked stuff like that, but I, I still would probably take a you know, take a little bit of, of offense to that. So you'd find it you, okay, you'd say it's objectionable. Would you protest it? I wouldn't be for it. Let's just put it that way. Okay. You would you wouldn't do it yourself. If you were... I wouldn't do it myself. I would you go, go see it? I'm going to create a naked Jesus. I, if I would do a Jesus, I'd cover him up. All right, but would you go see a naked Jesus in an art gallery? If it was there and I couldn't get away from it, then I'd probably have no, to no, see it. No, no, like, no. But, let, but I wouldn't go and go, oh, i got to see this, you know. Okay, so you wouldn't be, like, looking I, I, to see I'm it. Not a pe- I'm like, oh, okay. You okay. Know? Would, you, would you go outside and protest with signs against it? No. Okay. I wouldn't. Any, would anyone protest it? Cody? 
just think the whole argument is stupid. Like, what what argument's stupid? Like just personally, as an artist, like I I love when people do stuff that pisses off everyone because to me, I think like well, let's think about all the stuff that goes on in the world every moment of the day, all of the evil, all the genocide, and you know the religious whatever it is squabbling about someone who made it chocolate sculpture of Jesus. Like, awesome. That's what we need to be wasting our time on. Let's, let's, let's protest it. Let's, every time there's a movie where there's too much stuff, or we just we become a culture that gets so offended by things, and we just can't just accept, like... Okay. We do have some guidance, though, somewhere in Scripture about some of those things, like maybe about sexuality or nudity or violence. Maybe. I'm just saying there might be some guidance in Scripture that when, you, when we ask a question like, why would he get so bent out of shape about certain things, some of them have answers. Not all of them, I agree with you. But some of them he would say, this is the reason that, for example, I find lust destructive. I mean, and, and maybe these things might lead to it. So I'm not saying that's the answer. I'm saying there may be some clues. Kevin? I think it's good that this guy created this. For one, I, would, I wouldn't doubt, like I can't prove this, but I wouldn't doubt that Jesus was very possibly naked up on the cross. I wouldn't doubt that. I can't prove it. But, I mean, this is the most offensive torment you could have possible, the bringing the greatest shame. And if you're trying to bring the greatest shame upon someone, you're going to expose them completely. And, you know what, we as Christians can just realize the truth that there was this huge great shame and that Jesus was probably naked and we need stuff gulping over it and just being like oh you know this is I just think it's dumb to do that you know I don't know exactly what Jesus would do in this case but I know it at least points towards him this is something that points towards what he did for us okay Phil going off that a little bit something I'm just starting to think about like it depends on in what situation or what context this the, the objectionable material is presented. It's presented as objectionable materi material, or is it presented as something promoting it? But promoting let's promoting. move off of art because it's so difficult sometimes to figure out what the artist is saying. How about if we look at some of these other ones like film, television, uh, magazines, okay, that are more in the pop culture, okay? So let's say that you, you're a woman reading Cosmo magazine, which every month has an article about how to have the best sex ever or the best orgasm ever, right? So it's not, it's not a, it's, 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 like you said, it's prescribing something. It's pushing something. Film, like movies, like some Christians say it's wrong to go see a rated R movie because most of them are rated R because they're trying to push sexuality or violence beyond a certain line. Television, maybe they don't, they, it's all by innuendo, but you could take an easy show to make fun of, like a show like Desperate Housewives where the whole goal is to try to push the envelope in, in, in prescribing certain sexual behavior. And it's not passing moral judgment on it. It's not saying, like, this is bad, don't do this, like you said a biblical account would. Because I think the biblical account of David and Bathsheba is probably more sexual than maybe one of those episodes might be, as opposed to, like, you just are a voyeur watching a life of sin just going on, and it's part of the storyline. So in those kinds of examples, how should Christians deal with that? Should they just say, you know what, I'm not watching that show. It's off. I'm just turning it off. Like, I won't watch that show. I won't go to that movie. I won't read that magazine because the ideas in it bother me. Or are we supposed to say, 
I need to be part of it and know everything that's going on so I can be adept and literate in my culture. What's, what do you guys think? Yeah. A couple different things. I'm not trying to blow smoke. Dude, you had a ton of wisdom in what you said. I'm not trying to, I just think it's really healthy to be a provocative person. A couple things strike me. Number one is I don't expect non-believers to act like believers. So when somebody is trying or maybe has a familiarity with God and tries to describe or convey something, I mean, he's not doing a, a picture of Bart Simpson or something like that. He's, he's doing something that is, he's trying to show something good and stuff like that, that we can either get all freaked out and be all Christian and go, oh my God, he's naked, or that's not the way he was, or go, wow, this guy is a seeker. And I think God really appreciates a seeker. Now, would I have put done it in chocolate? Would I have done it nude? Nah, maybe I wouldn't have done it, but this guy did something trying to reach or identify or illustrate who God was. And to come alongside people, and I, I think life is not like a true-false test. You guys have gone to either high school or college where sometimes they give you a true-false test. It's like, is this good or is this bad? Oh, it's bad. They give you more like a blue book test. Tell me what you know. Don't, don't give me a true-false. Go, talk to me. What, what, are you, what are you feeling? What does it look like for you to engage and, and understand what that is? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's more relational than a true-false answer. So how would you use that to engage, do you think? Do you, you think, like, we can't just, the true-false equivalent is I can't just shut it off or be part of it, I have to engage it? If that was in Pasadena, I would love to go. And maybe it would be weird for me or whatever, but I bet you there's a ton of people that would go just to trip out on that. And to be able to be with people and just go, well, what do you think? What's going on? And it's weird to me. I never thought of Jesus without, you know, being, being a relative. But it's like... But, and then look at it and just go, wow, it, it, it reminds me of this man that I really believe in. He did die on a cross. Okay. Look at this. Jesus told us that we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. What does that mean? We always say it to each other. I've heard this group use it all the time in answers to a lot of questions. Well, he said that we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. It's like, okay, great. You guys can recite things that you think are in the Bible. What does this mean? I think that it's saying that you have to interact with the people that are sinful and with the sin that exists in the world, but not engage in the sin that is, not participate in the sin that is in the world. Yeah. How would you use that then when we're talking about something like, take the Desperate Housewives thing. You go to work every day. Your friends talk about it. They watch the show. It's like a big thing. What do you think? I mean, I've never seen it, so I don't really even know if it's a good show, but I'm assuming it's a dumb show. But let's, for the sake of our hypothetical, assume the only reason you wouldn't watch it is because you have some notion that it might not be Christian to watch it. Well, so I know Christians that watch it, and I'm not necessarily worried about them. They're females. Um, I, don't, I, I can't watch it. It's not going to help me. That they're filtered, they can deal with it. Yeah, and what would be the purpose of watching it, do you think? I mean, is there a good purpose to watching it? I think there might be. We're going to talk about it in a second. Let me show you this verse. Some of you are furiously looking for verses in the dark here. No, I have one. So, I find it. <laughs> but it's not like... So let me show you. Let me throw a verse you can read for those of you who are... I see Bibles flying and people trying to find ways to justify your thing. By the way, those of you who are still scouring Bibles for the last five minutes, a skeptic would have left by now. This is Jesus praying for his disciples and believers that would come after. And this is what he says. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. 
I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So if Jesus is praying this prayer, using his words right here on the screen, this is John 17, uh, verse 12, 14 to 18. Looking at these words, can you pick out some rules that we could adopt on how to engage culture from Jesus' instructions in a prayer? Is there anything you can see in here that we could use? God's word is truth. Yeah. He says, your word is truth. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them. Yeah, so he, had a, he could have said, I don't want them to be mixed with the world. I want you to keep them separate. Okay? But he doesn't say that. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them. So it's almost like, I'm keeping them in there. Just keep them safe. Jamie pointed out that the word is truth. Here's another thing to look at. He says, sanctify them by the truth. What does sanctify mean? Hold that thought. We're going to come to it in a second. But here's what I think would be the guiding principle. So I like the fact that Philip's pointed out that he said, my prayer is not that you take them out. So we got that down. We're not getting out. We're not getting away with separating ourselves as some Christians have advocated that we do. Jesus himself is saying, no, you're staying in. And then he's telling us that we can be sanctified, which is, we'll come back to that. But look at this last line down here. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Maybe the guiding principle we can use is, let's figure out what Jesus would have done. I'm not talking about wearing the WWJD bracelets. But if he was sent into the world, how are we supposed to be sent into the world? And, and an easy way to do that is, this is his words directly. So it's not just like a bracelet phrase. It's actually saying, you want to know how you should be in the world? Look at how I was in the world. I'm praying this directly to the Father. This is the way it should be. There's like a, a, a parallel set up. So we can ask ourselves when we are in the world, and we might think, are we in too deep into the world? We can go, well, would Jesus have gone this deep? Would he be here this far? He's, and I've given them the word. Okay, So my word is here. Yes, I know that Christians debate sometimes what it means and how we're supposed to interpret it. But he's saying you have guidance from the word just the way that I would have guidance from the Father. You should have my word and you should have that guidance. You guys seem to have trouble with this word, right? It's one of those words that I've noticed that Christians would never ask each other means because you're supposed to know. You know, like when someone goes, Jesus sanctified you, you're like, absolutely. <laughs> no idea what it means, but it sounds like if I said no, it would be the wrong answer, okay? What does sanctify really mean? Because we hear it. And he's actually, if you go back here, he's saying, sanctify them. Jesus is praying for us, the disciples and those who come after him, sanctify them. What does that mean? That we like receive like magic dust, it like falls on us, or like we get what? What's it mean? So look at it from here. This is the definition. Sanctify means to make holy, 
to make special, or most often the best definition I like is to set apart. So we have this weird concept because in a moment ago he was saying, I'm leaving you in the world and you're not getting away with it. You're not getting out. You have the word to guide you. I was in the world. You'll be in the, wor- in the world. But he's saying sanctify them. Set them apart. So from this we get that kind of idea of being in but not of. At the same time there's that tension. We don't get to get away from it but we don't get to be identified and identical to the world because we're set apart. How? How are we set apart? You guys already hinted on a little bit about talking about the purpose of things, but how are we set apart when we're there? And maybe the way that you can answer the question is think of how Jesus was set apart when he was here. Yeah. One misnomer that hits me, and this is from years and years of getting probably jacked up theology at church, but when I see that word sanctify, I see the word sanitized. And it, uh, it, now it ultimately it's like, you know, and so when you engage culture, you get dirty again. So be sanitized. And that's, I just, I think that's really bad theology that I've through, through the years. To be holy is a quality before God, not being clean, because I can't be clean. To be special or be set apart is for his purposes, not for me just to be tidy. And there's just a lot of baggage. You said to be set apart is for his purposes. His purposes. And I think that really is the closest definition that I like to think. Like, we sing a song where we go, set apart for you, my master. And I, and I think that when I think of what it means to be sanctified, the most common definition I think is helpful to us to get past a lot of, like you said, baggage and theology and words that sound like they mean something, we're not really sure what they mean, is to keep in mind this set apart for you, for, meaning the purpose, for the purpose of what you would have me do. What's that purpose? We're going to look at in a second, like some purposes of how you be. But I want to read this thing from Brian McLaren. I told you we were going to be kind of tracking one of the books that he's written called Adventures and Missing the Point. It's a little bit long, and I know when people read things, people check out. Listen to this if you can, because this is one of the most honest confessions by a pastor I've ever heard. And when I, I, I never really read things out loud, they're from the bio. This is actually good. And he's talking about how the church and theology has kind of jacked us up a little bit when it comes to understanding what our role is in the world. Despite our sincerity and best of motives, preachers like me mess people up. It's unintentional, believe me. We're just trying to protect people. But we damage people nonetheless. We want to protect folks from alcoholism and drunkenness. So we tell them not to drink alcoholic beverages. To protect them from alcohol, we recommend that they avoid establishments that serve it. To be on the safe side, we tell them to avoid people who drink alcohol. And then to avoid excessive laughter that might make us look like we're drinking And in fact, to avoid parties in general, except the boring ones. We want to protect folks from extramarital sex. So we create so much tension around the subject that we make people uncomfortable, not only with the opposite sex, but with their own sexuality too. Okay, we preachers admit it. Maybe we'll create a little sexual anxiety. Maybe some of our hearers will be a tad nerdy, a little weird, a little uptight, 
but at least they won't get into overt sexual trouble, at least we hope. We approve of them spending all of their time in church services, church meetings, church activities, safe rabbit holes, a protective Christian ghetto. We want to protect our folks from greediness. We create a preaching climate that suggests that it's morally and biblical dubious to make money, to be extraordinarily successful, to maximize our earning potential. We imply that middle class ambitions are okay, that mediocrity of any sort is safest. We want to protect folks from losing their faith, so we warn them against reading philosophy, from participating in culture and the arts, from dealing with tough questions and controversial issues. We preachers exhort them to avoid sciences, because they might accept evolution, avoid the social sciences, because they might sympathize with liberals, criminals, and homosexuals, to avoid the arts, they may have to look at a little nudity, and we recite pat answers and platitudes even when it makes us feel dishonest, shallow, trite, or tortured. In short, wanting to protect our congregations from becoming of the world, we preachers tell them, don't be in it. We're just more comfortable to have Christians under our influence to be outside of the culture rather than in it, into it, or with it. What do you think of that? If you followed those precepts, would that be anywhere near Jesus' words? I don't think so. And I think we have to identify for a moment that many of us in our upbringings and our thoughts and our sermons that we've heard probably resonate with some of those lessons that are supposedly being taught that would encourage us to stay out of the world in direct contradiction with what Jesus just finished praying that we are going to stay in whether we like it or not. That's the idea. Maybe some of you have heard sermons about, from everything from don't see an R-rated movie to some people I've heard don't even get a higher education. And everything in between because they're somehow bad. It'll lead to questions. It'll lead you to lose your faith. And this idea of Christian ghettos, I mean, you know, we've cited that statistic over and over in here that within two years of becoming a Christian, most Christians have no more non-Christian friends. How are you going to be in anything if you segregate yourself from them? So what's the purpose of being in the world? I mean, we've already said Jesus wants us to be in it, not of it. And the way you walk that tension is to be set apart for his purposes when you're in it. So we're not just there for the heck of it. We're not just there to think, well, I mean, you know, I got to be in the world, so I might as well like see every R-rated movie that shows nudity because... I should be in the world. It's a good way to be in it. If you've got to be in it one way, this is the best way. But what's the purpose behind it? Why are we supposed to be in the world? What was Jesus' wisdom for not taking us out? I mean, if he wanted to protect us like those pastors do, he'd make a Christian ghetto for us. His commandments would have been, separate from the rest of the world. Be holy and be set apart that way. Live in your own communities. Stay away from everybody else. He didn't do that. Why? What are we supposed to be doing? Yeah. Okay, so there's like a kind of a evangelism outreach and just a right and just a witness from them seeing us. Okay, Kevin. I think uh, Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen, and twenty answers are pretty good. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and uh, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So, when you're saying in the Great Commission to go therefore to all nations, like He's sending us directly 
for those other purposes, baptizing, preaching his name, and making disciples. Okay? With the Gospels of Jesus, how he goes to, you know, the woman at the well, and just like, whatever, you know, the prostitute and stuff, like he, he hung out with the people that, you know, that weren't in the church. I mean, there's like blatant examples of what he's done. And I think that, you know, that's the best example to look at as far as if you want to answer to what we're supposed to be doing. You know, he didn't sit there and hang out with the Pharisees. I and mean, we already went through the parables of that. He, I mean, he, he went there and, and objection to him, you know. Like, you know, I th- I, there's somewhere in here where it says, that, you know, Paul, you know, he's, he becomes all things to all people that want to know Christ, you know. So, yeah, I think that concept of becoming all things to all people is his desire to do whatever it takes to bring people into a knowledge of Christ. So it has a purpose. What we have to be careful of is when we do things and there's really no purpose behind it because that's when we really are getting, becoming, sliding into becoming maybe just of the world because we've lost the purpose. Jesus said it a different way. He used examples where what you are is distinct from what everything else is. Light is distinct from the darkness. And he said it would be foolish to be light and then hide the light so that you essentially become darkness as well. Same thing he said about salt. What good is salt if it loses its saltiness? But he's saying you're salt. You're different. You're different than everything around it. You're going to add that different flavor. But if you lose your saltiness, what good is it? It's going to be thrown away. So that's where the line is, is when we have no purpose anymore. We've slidden to become of the world. A couple verses that you um, mentioned when you said, I become all things to all people, just a couple if you want to look at these. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, 16 to 18, God has given us all things to enjoy. And in Titus 1, 15, to, to the pure, all things are pure. So there's some indication that we can be in the world and not have it get on us too much. Okay? And Jesus gave that example. So let's ask some visual questions here for a moment, see if you guys can track would Jesus have come here into this culture? Scene depicting, you know, wealthy banquet, lots of people of money and prestige, it looks like. Is this one place he would have engaged culture? In Jesus, there was times where he did spend time speaking with Pharisees and going into the Pharisees' houses. So I don't see why yeah. he wouldn't go there. You mentioned Zacchaeus, right? I mean, Zacchaeus was a wealthy guy. You know, he gave away half his wealth the day Jesus showed up to his house. Somebody did accuse Jesus of being a glutton once, right? So maybe it's like in a place like this, they think like, you're a holy man. What are you doing hanging out with the rich people, wasting money at a party like this? Would he have gone to a party like this? I mean, how many of, how many of you go to this kind of party? Maybe not exactly this kind of party. Maybe they're not dressed exactly this kind of way. But, but I mean, you guys go to parties? Hang out with friends? A little bit of alcohol? What do you guys think? Yeah, seems like some people are like, sure, of course we do. Would Jesus be there? Like, would you be surprised to walk in and they go, oh, hey, Jesus is over here. No problem? It's a pretty liberal group. We're thrown off campus soon. All right. No problem. What about this? Jesus hanging out there? You guys go here, right? It's not at somebody's house. You're actually at the clubs. Think Jesus be at the clubs? Will you be at the clubs? Because, I mean, when you're asking yourself the question, if our parallel is... As Jesus was in the world, I should be in the world. You know, most of us have been to this scene. I've been to these scenes. Was I there for a purpose, just to enjoy myself? Was I there because I was curious? What was I there for? Like, 
there's no problem with going to these places, but he also talks about like be careful with like participating in some of the stuff that they do. You, know? you think Jesus would be at the bar mixing drinks, or, or? I don't think that he would be getting drunk, you know. So he he did make wine though, out of water, didn't he? Yeah, because his mom told him to. Okay. <laughs> All right. He didn't want to. That's true. You got a Bible verse directly <laughs> quoted accurate. That's amazing. All right, that's good. You're right. His mom told him to, but he did listen. But he did make wine, right? So it's kind of like a bartending function. Is this a hard one to map over from, from, the, from the first century to this? Well, the, real, the reason that we've got to draw the connection is because this is what we know. Yeah. And we have to be asking ourselves, would he have been here? Right. Would you ask him, like, what are you doing here? Or would there need to be a reason? The reason I'm throwing up the images is because many of us, growing up, listening to people and talk and their theology and their sermons and different things, you get this image that, like, you know, Jesus only went to those houses to preach and then he was gone, you know? And I don't know if that's exactly true. He was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. He was accused of hanging out with sinners. That doesn't mean he just showed up, did the prayer before the meal, said a sermon, and left. He was probably there. In fact, in some records we had when we looked at the parables, he was there long enough to tell a lot of stories in a row. Okay, so he was there for, for a number of chapters, however long it was taking the guy to type in the background, you know, while he was talking. It's a long time. All right? That's why I'm using these modern images, because that's all we have. We're not going to go like, well, I'm to be in the world but not of it, I can go have dinner with a tax collector. I mean, what does that mean in our time? But what you're faced with every single day is this. Would he be here? Are we going like, is this too much now? I, I think that, the, I could be wrong. I think that's probably a line where better wisdom and prudence would say uh, he probably wasn't there. Okay. How many of us should be here? This looks like a drunken party that's probably gone a little bit too long. You know, some clothes are coming off. Is he at this party? Are you? Yeah. Someone should go there. Yeah. You guys ever heard of triplexchurch.com? And it's a whole ministry to porn stars and strippers. And it's run by two pastors and their wives and a whole, it's, a, it's becoming a big organization. And it's their ministry to go into these places. Okay. Yeah, they go, to, they go to porn conventions. They go to porn club to try to preach the gospel in a place where most of us would think, what are you doing there? Okay. Yeah Sure. By the way, the reason I point them out is because I, I agree that somebody is doing it, but I think that most of the people in this room probably wouldn't want to be doing it because we would all have a problem with it. I think the big question for me is, tell me if I'm nutty, I think there's some places that, you know, would Jesus have spent time here? My, yeah, no, I don't think he would. But does that mean that somebody isn't called to do that? Because Jesus wouldn't be here, but somebody else might be perfectly... Um, understandable why they're going there to minister. Okay. The next picture is this. You guys have any issues with Jesus showing up at the casino? How about here? Didn't Jesus spend a lot of his time with people that refer to as sinners, tax collectors, and prostitutes? I'm not answering any of those questions definitively. The Bible does give us guidance. That's why he says I've given them the truth through the word. But we might all disagree about how we would interpret what it said. We might even disagree about what Jesus would have actually done or, like you said, where he would have done it. 
and how we would have met these people. The question just is harder for us. Many of us know that we'd be gone in 10 seconds in most of these environments. Some of them we could handle better than others. Maybe like the party with alcohol or the party at the club. You're like, ah, eh, no big deal. I don't care about that. Maybe other areas would be more difficult for us. But the point is, what are we doing there in the first place? And if Jesus was there, would he just be there because he felt like having a drink? Or would he be there because he was trying to interact with people? Maybe he wasn't going to pull them aside and give them the, the, the sinner's prayer or the four spiritual laws. He was trying to interact with people hopefully to point them into a certain direction. I think a lot of us sometimes, while we're in the world and we know we're not supposed to be of it, are not in that one area where we actually have a purpose for what it is we're doing. And I think we need to discover that sometime. Discover what the purpose is, why he kept us in. I mean, I think if there were without any purpose, we would quickly become just of the world or useless. I mean, who cares if we're in it and not of it, but we're useless? Then, like Paul says, we're kind of fools on all accounts because we're not really getting it. We're not really having a good time with it. We're not really there for a purpose. We just don't know what we're doing. We're lost. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. I'll, I've been to some parties before where, like, people would be doing dumb stuff, like they're drunk, and, you know, sexual. Everybody's laughing, but you know it's something they shouldn't be laughing at. Because if you don't laugh, then everyone's going to be like, oh, that guy's a cardboard stiff, and he's no fun to be around, and no one's going to want to hang out with you. But did you think it was funny? I mean, no, that's sometimes like, it's not funny. Sometimes that, it's offensive. That's like the question about Desperate Housewives. I mean, do you want to actually see the show? Because I guess the first question is, what's natural for you? Like, I, do you actually think the situation's funny? It's not funny. You're not supposed to be laughing at it. Well, but that's two different things. I mean, you just you put two different things in the same. No, I'm going to say this way. No, it's not funny. You're not going to laugh at it. But everyone else is laughing. Well, then why be disingenuous? If it's not funny because you don't find it funny, somebody goes like, hey, what's wrong with you? You go, I don't know, I just didn't think that was funny. But the harder question is, let's say it is funny, and you laugh right along with it, okay? I think that's normal, but there's a line in my mind, this is only my opinion. I've been around in, like, non-Christian, and I always thought that God had put me with so many non-Christians with no Christian friends at all in my life because I was supposed to be that kind of light and whatever. But I got lost in the world because I didn't have the purpose all the time. So let's say that I'm at a place and I'm laughing right along with them. The comment that always stopped me dead in my tracks was one like this. Like, I thought it was funny. We were laughing. And then somebody would come up to me and go, you know, it's really cool. I mean, you're like a Christian, but you're a cool kind of Christian. And I would, I would go, oh, good, it's working. So I would press a little deeper. Like, what does that mean, a cool kind of Christian? Like, well, you're the kind of Christian that would cuss and drink with us. Like, that's a cool kind of Christian. And I was thinking, like, I've given you the wrong idea. I'm like salt that's lost its saltiness at this point. Like, if I'm the cool kind of Christian who would do all the things that a non-Christian would do, but just believe in Jesus, that's not a cool kind of Christian. That's a Christian who's useless in the world, you know? And I think that's where you kind of draw that line a little bit, where you start to realize that, hey, if it's funny, I'd laugh, you know? If it's uh, anything, you know, I'd, I wouldn't change who I was but if who I was became just like them, then I've kind of lost the whole purpose. And I remember distinctly being in school, in law school, for example, and being very popular, and, 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 and I was a student body president. I thought this would be another good place to show that, hey, a Christian can be cool and funny and very smart in school, all those things at the same time. And I thought it was shining right through. And I remember one day I was going to a Bible study that I was asked to speak at, and I was on my way, and one of my buddies ran over to me, and I knew this guy for a year. 
And he said, hey, where are you going? I told him where I was going. He goes, what are you going to do there? And I said, oh, I'm supposed to speak at this Bible study. And he said, I didn't know you were a Christian. And I thought, like, again, what's the purpose? Like, I'm missing the purpose. Like, because maybe I'm not living right. Or maybe it's just because I'm not being salt and light in the right way. That's the way I worked it out in my own mind. To change who you are and become artificial, you're right. You'd lose almost every time. And that's a very good question, by the way. It's just got an answer that's a little bit more... Like you'd have to, I'd, I'd like to talk that through with you more. And just the reason we get together afterwards to kind of let's work some of these things out, because that's, that's one that I'd like to talk to you about in conversation too. Maybe get you into counseling. I don't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's more because I've walked that exact place and just saying like, it isn't funny because someone might not think I'm a Christian. Is like, is it funny or not? First of all, start with that. And then at that point, have I gone so far that I've lost my identity? Is, a, is, a, is another thing, because you might still find something funny. Okay, let's kind of leave it here. If you guys want to talk more afterwards, let's do it. Let's pray, and if you guys want to wrap up with some more songs, let's do it. Lord, I thank you for the fact that these questions are not easy to answer, that you leave us to struggle sometimes, and it's much deeper than just a black and white rule that we have to really understand the complexity of who you are as Lord and what you would have done and try as best we can in our sinful state to translate that into our own world, into our own culture. Lord, we know that culture surrounds us. We know that you called us and, in fact, left us in the world. Help us, Lord, not to become of the world, but, Lord, not to separate ourselves from the world, to actually live in that tension, to live in that place where true growth will happen. Lord, remind us we are salt and light and that that's needed in the world not to be living in our Christian ghettos and enclaves. Pray these things in your name. Amen.